0: Hi, I'm Elsa Youngsted, Associate Editor at American Scientist Magazine. In our Pizza Lunch podcasts, we interview scientists who give lunchtime lectures at our headquarters in North Carolina. David Margolis is a professor of medicine at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He studies the molecular biology of HIV infections. Current therapies are very good at keeping HIV in check, but they cannot cure it. Some virus remains hidden, ready to flare up if a person stops taking the treatment. Margolis is looking for ways to completely eliminate that last reservoir of virus. I begin our interview by asking him, what makes HIV a good candidate for a cure?
1: HIV is not a good candidate to be cured because it's very probably going to be hard to cure HIV. The reason to try to cure HIV is because of its importance and the difficulty in chronically treating HIV-infected people for decades and decades. Um, If you sort of think out ahead of where we'd like to get in healthcare, both in the U.S. and the world, it, I think, becomes impractical to think of treating all these millions and millions of people for decades and decades. That's why I think, unfortunately, we have to face the challenges of eradicating infection and coming up with, I hate to say, a cure, because I think it's going to be curative therapy. It's not going to be some simple thing that's easy to do.
0: So could I just ask you to clarify, what do you mean by curative therapy as something distinct from a cure?
1: Well, we talk about HIV therapy now as a pill, but it's not really a pill. It's a combination chemotherapy that took um, 10 years to develop and a few years after that to really get to its present state of, I wouldn't say perfection, but near perfection. And so to overcome this sort of next medical, biological challenge to actually eradicate infection, that requires a whole nother level of events to occur. And so we are looking at chemicals and drugs to accomplish that, and that may be doable just with that sort of an approach, but it may have to be something that's more multidisciplinary, using the immune system or something like that to clear the virus completely. I think when scientists, immunologists particularly, think about viral infections, there is really no viral infection that's not cleared or contained without the immune response. So I think it's most likely that we'll end up with some sort of multi-pronged approach.
0: A lot of our listeners will probably remember in the last couple of years, there was news about a man who was cured of his HIV, um, and that was using a completely different approach from what you were working on. But could you explain just briefly what that strategy was?
1: Well, I think it was not really a strategy. A lot of things happened to that patient, and in the end, he appears to have been cured as far as we can tell, and pretty extensive evaluations have been done of all the many interventions that he had to treat his cancer, we don't know which combination of them led eventually to his having no HIV detectable in him. The first thing that was done that was probably very significantly important was that his entire immune system was transplanted, and the new CD4 cells that he got had a genetic mutation that makes them resistant to the most major kind of HIV called the R5 using, or CCR5 virus. Interestingly, though, in the patient, other kinds of viruses were detected that don't use the R5 receptor, and the cells that were transplanted into him conceivably should have been able to be infected by those viruses. But those viruses never came back. He also had chemotherapy to kill the cancer cells. He had specific immunotherapy to kill all of his native t-cells. He had radiation therapy. And also he had a phenomena that happens in this kind of cancer treatment called graft versus host disease. And that's where the cells that were transplanted into him attacked and killed some of his native cells. So all of those effects could have added up to clear out the virus. And actually people are trying to redo this experiment in different ways. There was a recent report out of a group um, from Pittsburgh of someone who just had a transplant and had all of those other things done, irradiation, et cetera, but didn't have the CCR5 cells, and their HIV was not cleared out. So it's clear that the Delta 32 cells were important, but exactly how it was done is still not clear.
0: So the approach that you're working on then involves flushing resting or quiescent HIV out of hiding. The idea of activating quiet virus to someone who's not used to working with viruses sounds a little counterintuitive. What inspired that approach?
1: I think it was just, I don't know, maybe just thinking a little differently. There is no problem with HIV currently if you're on therapy successfully. But then you have to be on therapy. And if you ever stop therapy, virus comes back. We don't exactly know where and how the virus comes back, but we're pretty sure that at least most of it could come back from these latently infected cells. People use terms imprecisely, and I try not to do that. People talk about the reservoir of where the virus comes back from. So we think that it's very likely that the resting CD4 cell that has this latent infection of virus DNA that's in the cell, but not making any virus at the time, is the source, is the reservoir and the source of viral rebound. We can't be sure that there are not other reservoirs or other places that the virus is persisting, and that's something that will have to be figured out. But it's pretty clear that if you're going to accomplish this goal, you have to deal with the resting CD4 cells. So that's where we're starting.
0: So can you explain what is your approach then for flushing the virus out and getting it to come out of hiding in these CD4 cells?
1: Well, we've taken a couple of approaches. The first approach we are taking is sort of based on an understanding of how the virus stays latent, and stays quiet. And by understanding the mechanisms that allow the virus to stay quiet, if we target those mechanisms and basically remove the brakes, the virus will get going on its own. The virus is very good at growing in T cells. It makes its own transactivator protein. So past a certain point, the virus gene program will take over and the virus will pop out. We're trying to understand in really great detail the mechanisms that restrict the virus from being expressed and maintain the virus in latency and target those mechanisms for drug attack.
0: Finally, I would like to touch on something that actually came up as a frequent question among the audience at the lecture you just gave. Um, People were curious about how this approach, if it works, will fit into AIDS treatment or eradication on a global scale.
1: I think that it will fit in or could fit in the same way that antiretroviral therapy has fit in. First, you have to discover and invent antiretroviral therapy, and you have to learn how to use it safely and effectively. And in effectively, I mean both sort of medically effectively and effectively in a public health way as well. Once you know um, how to accomplish those things, then it's really a public policy challenge to spread those benefits across the world. Uh, Not too long ago, it was thought that it was just simply impossible to deliver such complicated therapy across the world, but now we know that's not true. And so probably in the early days, if we have curative therapy, it may be complicated to deliver across the world in the beginning, but the goal should always be to figure out how to deliver it to everyone who needs it.
0: David Margolis, thank you very much for talking with us.
1: Happy to be here, thanks.
0: This pizza lunch podcast was produced by Elsa Youngsted and Kathy Klabby, editors at American Scientist Magazine. The magazine is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Thanks for listening.